Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. goes a little mad sometimes. Wolfman's got Mars! They're coming to get you, Barbara. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We have such sights to show you. They're all gonna laugh at you! You're listening to the Jersey Cool. Hey, everybody! What's up? And welcome back to another episode with the Jersey Ghouls. And bitches, there is some double-double toil and trouble up in this piece because the third crone has joined us tonight for our discussion of Sexy Vampires. Mary, welcome. Sexy Vampires. This is a discussion I am here for. Yep. I have hot takes. I have so many hot takes. I'm going to cause chaos, confusion. We're going to fight it out. I'm excited. Yeah, so obviously, Sexy Vampires, tonight we are talking about the Twilight series. <laughs> I the only thing sexy about that movie is the werewolf kid. I like me really. <laughs> yeah, obviously, per the thumbnail, we're not talking about the Twilight series. But I will say, when the Twilight series came out, I, I was I'm, I'm I was here for Robert Pattinson and his sparkly dong. Like I would touch it. I would touch it. Like color me, you know, AC Moore craft queen. I would touch a glittery dong if it belonged to Robert Pattinson. You know it how does glitter you would get there and do you know how hard it is to get glitter out of your carpet let alone your carpet, carpet? <laughs> <laughs> we are not talking about the prickle of twilight peni we are talking about 1994's interview with the vampire and 2013's only lovers left alive which we start i gotta be honest with you we started out with i pitched this as let's do a sexy vampire show but i have so many deep profound things to say about both of these films that sexiness is barely like just one layer of all this before we get into this i just need to say i am shocked and appalled that the sexy vampire discussion is not including my absolute favorite which as we already discussed are the what we do in the shadows vampires they're sexy in a truly human way <laughs> i 100 percent agree with you i they are That's the, the they, show and movie both they, yeah they are they're the yeah. sexiest beings i love them all so much and i would love to cover that we should do like a special series on the show because i just i adore the yes. show so hard um but yeah, no, you're right. It's fair. And there's a lot of sexy vampires out there. I mean, I would argue that of all the horror genres, this is the one with the most probable chance that I'm going to have uh, not only my normal adrenaline rush, but also another certain feeling while I'm watching the movie. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> 
And that is sadness. <laughs> because I'll never be eternal. <laughs> because Tom Hiddleston will never look at me that way. No, he won't. And that makes me sad. That yeah, that makes me sad. With eternal life is I'm only gonna accept it if I get to become instantly beautiful and cool, like vampires always are. If someone came up to me now, I'm like, well, it's basically gonna be you with better skin. I'd be like, I don't want to get stuck with this for eternity. <laughs> like, I'm fine and all, but not hundreds and hundreds of years fine. Like, um, I you- think I've talked about it on the show before, but there's actually a book series based on that. It's called Fat Vampire. It's very <laughs> funny. <laughs> You know, guys, I think we might be onto something here. Nothing would make me more motivated to lose weight than if a vampire walked up to me and was like, I'm going to bite you. You have three months, like to be your best self. <laughs> right? Like we should do this as an exercise program where we're like, we will make you a vampire if you lose 25 pounds. And then the, it would be like, because think about it. If you really were going to be a vampire three months, wouldn't you be like, I'm going to fucking really exfoliate. Oh, I'm calling Shanti no, no, and I'm we're going to do insanity like right now. Here's what would happen. I'd say, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm so committed. And then like three days in that five guys burger is calling me and you know what would go through my head? Well, I mean, am I sure I'm going to be a vampire? Do vampires, did he prove it to me? He just said he was a vampire. What if it was just a random bomb that bit me? And then I'm just denying myself a hamburger for no reason. Cause my life's a lot shorter than I expected it to be. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I'm the forever optimist where I can absolutely do a hardcore three months because once I turn into a vampire, I can eat an entire bag of pizza flavored goldfish and it will not have any effect on me and whatsoever. That's a long-term goal for me. Depends on the vampire logic. Some vampires can eat real food, in which case my mind, I'm going to go, you know what? Screw it. Am I going to care? Humanity's just going to be a feed bag to me anyways. I'm going to eat all the garlic pizza I can now. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I, my rationale would be like, there's plenty of like chubby middle-aged <laughs> vampires out there. I'm, they'll be my friends. Like obviously like, you know, Robert Pattinson's not going to want to hang out with me as a vampire, but like, I feel like I'll find my tribe. You know, it won't yeah. be Kiefer and Jason Patrick, but it'll be, you know. If I put in all that work and did all of that, the Robert Pattinson would want to hang out with me anyway. What if Robert Pattinson's a dick? And I'm like, wow, I put in all that work for you, man. And you're just or- sparkly <laughs> peni in more ways than one. <laughs> or the thought that all that's standing between me and some sort of higher level of living is three months of hardcore working out is really a myth that I'm just going to perpetuate in my own head. <laughs> Three, three months of hardcore working out that you haven't decided to put in already when your life will be a lot shorter. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. It's so perfect. Oh man. All right. Well, well now that we've covered that, uh, Interview with the Vampire, 1994, directed by Neil Jordan. I got to tell you, I love this film and I know that it's just nostalgia and I realize that it's problematic at times, but God, do I love this movie. I I need to send a shout out, personal shout out to one of my very best friends, Jenny. Her and I have been together since we were like four years old. This is one of her favorites. This is a movie we've quoted all the time. This is a movie we have watched endlessly. And like, I cannot watch this movie and not associate it with her. So blanket shout out to my homegirl, Jenny. Aww. I know, right? Jenny's pretty cool. I'm, I'm gonna do kind of an opposite um, and make not really a shout out so much as, so one of my problems with both of these films and talking about sexy vampires is that 
So my sister loved Brad Pitt in Legends of the Fall and Daniel Day-Lewis in Last Mohicans. So I grew up with long haired, pretty boys gracing the walls of our shared room. And she was boy crazy from a very young age, like worryingly so. <laughs> my parents were like, oh man, you can't be this into grown men with long hair. Um, anyways, because of that, I have never been able to get past long hair, especially long haired Brad Pitt, because I just, it's just never been a thing for me. Every single, why does every single vampire in these things always have to have long flowing locks? Like, does nobody get a haircut anymore? Like. You wouldn't like, wouldn't that get annoying? Also, your hair is going to get matted and gross and it can't grow back, right? So I don't know. I'm opposite of the shout out. Sorry. <laughs> Fuck you, Julie, for ruining long-haired men. No, I'm with you. Long-haired men don't do it for me in, in the most traditional way. Yeah, like for the most part, as as adorable as all these actors are in this, and even Tom Cruise, who I usually cannot get over my hate my like burning hate fire for him enough to like enjoy what he's doing uh, even he in this i'm like okay adorable the stat all i want to do is cut his hair the entire time like i just want to take scissors to all of their heads every single one of them right down to antonio banderas like i just oh. want i just want to cut no, all maybe hair. maybe my heart is just stuck in 1993 with all of my grunge rockers but i love the long hair although i can say i think when marissa and i were watching this i had said that you know, I was never like Brad Pitt fangirl. Like when everybody was doing the whole Legends of the Fall thing, I was like, that movie looks boring. Like I, I was not into it at all. Boring. It was boring. I've never seen it. So I'm going to say, yeah, go ahead. Um, but in this movie, uh, there's something about his ridiculously square jaw and his long hair. Oh, fun fact about his ridiculously square jaw. Yeah. They would take them and uh, hang them upside down, uh-huh. like him and Tom Cruise. And yeah. when all the blood rushed out of their, rushed to their faces, they would stencil in the extreme features. So that's why their faces always looked weird and not like their own faces. I read this huge article about like, yeah, how miserable they were on set. And one of the things that made them super miserable was that every time they were about to be on camera, they would hang them upside down for a couple of minutes and then they would chisel the face after all the blood had rushed to their head. And see, that's honestly, that was gonna be the other thing I was gonna say. They all look weird to me. And I just, it doesn't like, okay, okay sure. Brad Pitt is not somebody that's necessarily on my short list, but he's a, he's a good looking guy. So yeah. he's Tom Cruise, and I agree with you wholeheartedly on that one, Marissa, but they're good-looking guys, and I just keep, every, this is one of the movies that I'm like, how did you manage to make them look off-putting? And I think maybe it's because you're, you're so used to seeing their faces as they are, and they don't look normal, and they don't look normal in a way that feels, I don't know, it didn't feel natural. Like, I, every time I watch the movie, it bothers well, isn't, but doesn't that, like, in itself make perfect sense? Like, would they look like, you know, humans, but there's something just slightly off, something slightly off-putting it's the predator and the prey thing. Like to me, that makes what you said is, yeah, it's that because they are the hunters. But I would, I mean, again, and to be fair, I'm, the other reason why I have more difficulty with movies, I did like some of the actual books. And so the portrayal in the movie is very, like, not different, not very different, but distinctly different in the sense of, so for me, it was always a, they're supposed to be alluring like that, not a weirdly uncanny valley kind of reaction, not a like, wow, I would be on guard around you. I'm supposed to be like, holy crap, they're, do you know what I'm saying? Like, they're supposed to be more predator, but in a way that's that's 
baiting I guess than yeah. just a no that makes sense although with Brad Pitt I don't think I'd be on guard in this movie I think I'd pretty much just follow him around naked and just be like please to be fair please. even weirdly off-putting Brad Pitt if he would, <laughs> I'm seriously go after her let's be honest I'd be like what <laughs> Oh, no, this movie was so quotable. Marissa and I literally, we we watched this movie together and we were literally just quoting this movie while watching the movie (laughs) the entire time. There's Um, so many great, weird, off quotes. Like there's so many, and you said it, you were like, man, they they hit their delivery of so many things so perfectly, but I think it's they hit it like with too much gusto, but it makes it somehow work. Like- I love so many of the lines where he's like, don't make me do something I cannot. Like, it's just, they go from zero to 5,000 and I'm here for it. Like in a cheesy way. They are. I've, I've, you know, I've been, I've been holding it this whole time, Marissa. I mean, can we talk about the greatest quote of this whole entire movie? The greatest delivery, the greatest moment of this whole movie, Marissa? Jackie. Yes, Marissa. Yes, we can. (laughs) Because Jackie, this place is cursed. (laughs) Damned. And yes, your master is the devil. <laughs> That's my favorite line. And yeah. I always way exaggerate it, but he does. His voice goes kind of it's low. A, it's Batman's, yeah. It's he Batman's. does. I, he, I thought it was a perfect thing. That was his Batman. But of course, I always really exaggerate it. And I turn him into just, I don't even know what I turn him into, but I always, always like make it go like almost slightly like drag queenish. You sound like Mistress Gorkosa from the- Yeah, like- no, because this place is cursed, damned. And yes, your master is the devil. I love it. It's my favorite line. It's my favorite line. It's my favorite delivery. That is your favorite. My favorite line is when he finds Louis with Claudia and he picks up the mom and he's like, this calls for a dance. And he starts dancing and he's like, there's still life in the old girl yet. Like I, those moments, like, and I read the books too. And I was, I was a hardcore Lestat lover. Like I kind of fell off the series once and no longer like focused on him. And I love that cheekiness. I, I agree with you. I think my issue with him and interview with a vamp- interview with a vampire. Now, granted, I never, I didn't watch the sequel, The Queen of the Damned. I read the books, but I never watched the movie. So I can't speak to that. But the, my issue with, him his that portrayal of Lestat in Interview the Vampire is that it is it is so one like what I liked about Lestat was the fact that as you read more about him you start to understand he's not just a dick he is but he's a dick because he developed into that from a history of what that whole being of and that's what made them more both these movies are good to put together because they're about making vampires less monstrous and more human um and I liked the interview with the vampire did a good job of making them seem human while also showing you how very not human they are. But I don't know. I, I wish you had gotten a little more of a, to not sound like a pretentious asshole, but nuanced portrayal of Lestat. That said, I've now gone back and tried to reread those books. I hate Lestat and it's such a 1990s thing. In it the, is. All of the Anne Rice books are so 90s. <laughs> Well, isn't it true? Didn't Anne Rice not like Tom Cruise's performance? Like, wasn't oh, she, she not happy no, with him? No, so as she Lestat? actually she was she was vocal when they were filming. Then when she watched it, she was like, "All right, actually, I, I take it back." Oh, okay, all right. yeah. Um, so I'd like to get into some of the deeper layers of this one, if if you will, ladies, um, because I think there are a lot of delightful little layers to both of these films that actually correlate beautifully too. The first, of course, as with so many vampire movies, for me, is these, you know, the queer undertones that are so overt. 
And I learned that the director originally filmed a sex scene between Lestat and Louis, um, which I thought was a really fascinating choice. And I hope one day in some crazy universe we get an extended cut. I don't think we will, but it would be interesting to see because I think Lestat and Louis are clearly lovers. If they are not in a sexual way, it's at least in an emotional way. Armand kind of becomes the interloper and the next love affair. Um, and I think that that unfortunately, and this is true about Lestat both in the books and in the movie, he is just the most abusive in a relationship emotionally towards the people around him and one thing that I found really fascinating because I think that so much of the play on homosexuality with vampires often tethers to the blood and the fear of the disease was that the scene where uh, Louis comes walking out of the movie theater and he finds uh, Lestat Tequila Sunrise is playing Tequila Sunrise comes out in movies in 1988 1988 was basically the start of the height of the AIDS crisis in all major cities across the country. And so when you see Lestat at that point, this like this once so beautiful, once so powerful man that he loved, now withering and kind of falling apart, I, I think the, the theme here about the devastation of the diseases and like the devastation of the modern times to the, this group it is, is an undeniable kind of wink and nod to uh, like the homosexual crisis of AIDS in the 80s. I think that in the film comes like I don't get that in the book. I'll be honest. Like, I do get the, the the homosexual obviously, but like in the film, it is. I think you're right in the sense of I was gonna say, Interview with a Vampire always seems to have that sort of overtone in the same way that Only Lovers Left Alive immediately makes me think of heroin addiction. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like honestly, it's like this whole thing that you're using vampir like vampirism as a kind a metaphor of for yeah metaphor. well especially since they get like when they take the the blood they like get that high you know yeah, oh it, it's it's a very obvious parallel in my yeah. life I, I think agree. it's a little more nuanced in interview the vampire because it was 1994 and it was a lot harder to be as obvious with that like with it's, those it, types of things yeah. with armand 100 like, that's the whole purpose and reason why behind behind what he does to claudia it's because he's trying to basically be he wants Louis to himself. Is I think he even says it almost basically when he has that yeah. conversation. Um, so I, I, I definitely see that, and I do think there were some parallels, like you said, and that idea of living that carefree, reckless in Louis's mind lifestyle right, and the consequence of of Lestat's aggressive and care now the right because like he's constantly pushing him for blood and he winds up being the one to get to kind of decay now the other interesting article I read that kind of backed up this idea because I went to like the source and uh the advocate had a really interesting article where they were talking about Louis as a problematic Louis and Lestat is deeply problematic queer-coded characters because number one Louis has this guilt he can't escape at, mm -hmm. because he's a vampire. And so they drew the parallel there where they were like, well, is, is this supposed to be the guilt of identifying as homosexual or having these feelings for Lestat? And then for Lestat's turn, they were like kind of condemning him because they were like, the last thing we need is characters who are toxic and have these manipulative, unhealthy relationships with one another. And that whole idea of your homosexual lifestyle is going to lead you to eventually. Right. Like it's, it's a life of excess and danger and yeah. right. It's going to lead you down bad paths. They said it's problematic and I'm going to trust their opinion on that. 100%. Um, it absolutely is. Pro and again, well, and then you bring in the Claudia thing of like, now you just have them 
the gay couple adopts a kid that turns adopts out adopts a kid to save. Like, come on. <laughs> well, the trope of adopting a kid to save a relationship just yeah. made me giggle in any in any case. Oh, um, I there's there is a lot, but I do think Louis is problematic in the sense of he immediately is like, yes, make me a vampire. And it's like, oh God, what have I done? And they're like, well, like <laughs> so the the I, I want to pose a question. Speaking of Louis saying yes, I want to pose the question of consent to both of you because it was something that I thought I was going to be able to find some interesting articles about with this film and with this book series, because Lestat goes out of his way to be like. I'm going to give you the choice I never had, right? And Lestat very much likes to throw in Louis' face that he wanted it. I think it's like the most quintessential victim-blaming bullshit ever because he asks Louis in a moment where Louis is in no position to give actual true consent. It's like, it's like asking someone on, like as they're about to die or they're in grave danger to make a, a serious decision that's going to impact the rest of their lives is problematic to me. I'm going to disagree. Okay. Because only because the whole first 10 minutes of the movie when Louis was human, all he talked about was seeking death. That's what he wanted. He said that I wanted death. The guy had a gun to his chest and do you lack the courage of your conviction, sir? Shoot me. Like he wanted death. And the fact that when the moment came where Lestat said, I have drained you, to this this is this is the final countdown if i if i stop and i walk away you are going to die or i can turn you make you young forever make you hot to trot the choice is yours i'm giving you the choice so he had the choice to die which he expressed that he wanted several times in the beginning of the movie but notice he expressed because he could never pull the trigger you know metaphorically speaking he he balked every time like i think that was one of louis weaknesses was that he was too afraid to just die but and like also, yeah that's my other point is that at no point like and again this doesn't take away i agree with you in the sense that he was not on the right frame of mind to consent however my argument there would be is is humanity ever going to be in the right frame of mind to consent you can't i can't even grasp what that would mean if someone seriously asked me that i'd be like i can't even begin to imagine what that would be like to live forever quote unquote see what i'm saying like yeah i think the other movie does a good job playing with that theme too yeah Yes, and I don't think even when they originally made that choice, they really understood what they were getting into. You learn that over time. But in terms of the, my problem with Louis was always this. You hated yourself before you became a vampire. You hate yourself after you become a vampire. Life is miserable. You're going to lose everything. Why are you still here? <laughs> Agreed. At any Agreed. point, walk out in the sunlight and it's all over, man. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mary, you bring I'm up, not going to push that. But like, bring up the, the rabbit hole that I fell down that I'm so excited to tether to both of these films. And that is the the point of human existence in uh, as, in terms of philosophical uh, greatness. So I'm going to, I'm going to start you guys off with a little quote from one Mr. Nietzsche. He basically said, man, the bravest of animals, and the one most accustomed to suffering does not repudiate suffering as such. He desires it. He seeks it out. As long as he has shown a meaning for it, it is a purpose in life, the purpose of suffering. The meaninglessness of suffering, not suffering itself, was the curse that overlay mankind, right? And that was uh, Nietzsche on what the, like the, the purpose of life is. He said it wasn't the suffering that drives us crazy. It's when the suffering doesn't have any advanced meaning. And that's when you lose 
an ability to live a meaningful life. And so Lestat's, if in, in that way, Lestat becomes, in my humble opinion, basically like Nietzsche's superhuman, right? It was like the Ubermensch. This idea that like an individual who truly overcomes society's norms, overcomes the suffering, becomes truly authentic and owns the horror of the world will reach super Zen-like amazingness. The movie missed the point of Lestat. That, that's my thing. It's like you, you, Lestat is not happy. Like, and he's not, and he's not doing it from a sense of Zen-like lack of suffering. See what I'm saying? Like I, right. And I agree with you. Having read both of those books, you're right. I think they're both. The I what I would argue if if we're going by the book is that I think both of these characters, because of their living forever, are never going to find a purpose to their suffering. There's never going to be that bigger meaning, and that's why they're going to be miserable jerks the entirety of their existence. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, imagine knowing or feeling that the, the the basic the basic thing that navigates human life is misery and suffering, and then fucking also having to face living forever. That's uh, what uh, that is such a foreign you, concept to me that you have to weave this misery and suffering into your existence. And I don't think weave it. I think Nietzsche's just saying it's part, like it's a big part of the human, the, the, the dilemma of human existence. And I would agree with that. Fans search for meaning is a giant part of hum, the human dilemma. It's not a dilemma though. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, and I, I guess that's for me, it's like, I mean, it's a dilemma in the sense of your specific one, but like the problem I have with Nietzsche and nihilism in general is that it's completely useless as a philosophy. Like, okay, like you that's don't- a bold statement. What are you gonna do? Like it, it does it doesn't carry it to it. Like okay, so absurdism is an outcome of nihilism. It goes all right. Well, maybe life has no meaning, and freedom is just the ability to do is just the search for something better or doing better. And that's at least now you're finding a meaning through improvement or some sort of way of constantly bettering yourself, whatever that may be, whatever you choose to channel it into. It's a life has no meaning, but we might as well laugh about it and figure out ways to enjoy it. Nihilism itself just goes, well, if life has no meaning and I don't necessarily believe it has meaning, then what? I, I don't, there's no, there's nothing you could do with that. <laughs> like no, but you have to, but you have to go through that in order to come out the other side. Like, I think at some point in your life, all of us have that moment of realization of just how meaningless, full of suffering, full of horror the world is. I think without nihilism, we all never come out the other end. The world can be. Not necessarily, and then I think that's the- it's, Agreed, it's, I'm not saying it is the soul, and neither did Nietzsche. I mean, Nietzsche wasn't like, you know, it's all fucked, fuck it. And my, and again, my <laughs> issue with Nietzsche is that he's also very often misunderstood and reduced, like, reduced down to very simplistic, like, but it is, like, nihilists in general are like, well, it doesn't have meaning. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, a, that's, that's like me going, the sky is goddamn blue. Cool, I, operationalize that for me. <laughs> I don't know. I, I have, that's a Hulk separate, but I, I get what you're saying. I just don't think the nihilistic attitude inevitably leads then to either self, to self-destruction, but also just destructive tendencies. Yeah. But wouldn't you that's argue that most of us have, like, at least in these films, all of these vampires struggle with that, that nihilism and struggle with the idea of trying to find purpose. I mean, and what I find most beautiful about all of both of these stories is that some of the only redemptions they get in an otherwise miserable and suffering filled world 
is in love. And that's, that's where like, it's not about nihilism and it's not about trying to purport that life is miserable and sucky. I'm saying that when you do have those moments where you realize that life is often full of suffering and pain and, and horror, and you do feel like Louis, where I want to die, the, it's the things that like human connection and like love that are going to get you through. So, so don't think that I'm staking my, my flag in the Nietzsche camp, Nietzsche camp here. I'm just saying that like, all of these vampires struggle with having to see life be so fucked for so long. I agree. I agree with that. I, I think the issue is that the lack of death makes life seem more meaningless because it's not a matter of enjoying the time you get. It's a matter of going, totally agree with you. I have all this time, but I mean, you find again, it, it just makes that it's more enduring of a of a conflict or of a search. My issue with using Lestat as an example for Zen-like is like, nihilism isn't Zen-like. See what I'm saying? Because all Lestat has done is created his, he's destroyed his own life and everyone he comes in contact with. He is a, he is a complete, he is a nightmare. And rather than accept the fact that life has no meaning, so I'm going to go into my Zen-like state of, it's just a, I am going to, not only am I going to accept the life that has no meaning, I'm going to ruin everyone else's life to prove a petty point. That's not a happy man. <laughs> but there's something, at least with the movie version of Lestat, there's something incredibly liberating about his lack of like remorse for, so this, and this will tell if I If I just decided to do whatever I wanted to in the immediate short term. Yeah, it'd be fucking awesome. I'd feel pretty liberated at first. But that's what I'm saying. Like for a long while, there is that that part of him that is very. Um, but this this ties into no, Jackie. Did you? I don't. I don't want to jump ahead to the next point without getting. No, go ahead. This ties perfectly to my big, my next big point, which is that this this book serves as a condemnation of uh, Catho- one of your favorite things to talk about. Catholicism. Um, Anne Rice very famously in 2010 came out publicly and condemned Catholicism. She said she could not physically deal with the hypocrisies and the problematic nature of the church anymore. Um, But prior to that, she considered herself a very devout Catholic. And I think Catholic guilt ruminates through her novels. And through this this particular story, the, the movie itself as well. Particular story, I would say you have to be aware of the context of she had just lost a child. Claudia is representative of the daughter she lost. Like she even admits, I wrote Claudia as kind of a grief. So I think the Catholic guilt is rife in this novel and in in the movie. I feel like Catholic guilt, you can't talk about vampires and not talk about Catholicism. even when you talk about the development of the vampire as a mythos, Catholicism is at its very heart of it. Um, but I, I, I do agree. I think I think that the Catholic guilt is there, but I also think there's probably a lot more guilt and grief wrapped up in the loss of a child, and probably the loss of a faith and and of her faith with that child. Yeah. No. I I, th- I thought that this and and only because I plan to tether it to what I can only uh, call very obvious Catholic uh, tetherings in uh, The Only Lovers Left Alive. But, and I love the way the the next movie plays with Catholicism in, in super fun ways. But I thought that this one definitely had, I agree with you, those sprinkles of, and you, I do see how that, I always forget about her daughter and the, the Claudia thing. I, I had come in, it's been a minute. Um, I feel like I want to reread these books now, but I think I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> I just want to time out for a second and just say, I love the fact that we teased everyone in here. We're going to talk about sexy vampires. Boom, nihilism. Boom, Catholicism. (laughs) 
heavy topics. Not I know. Fires at all. Not at all sexy. I th- that, that's how I lure students into conversations. I pretend it's going to be really fab and fun. And then I do this. <laughs> I'm, I'm about it. I was. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you're right. I, I laughed to myself because all my notes for both of these films had nothing to do with like just lighthearted. Like, I feel like we're at our best where we're just talking about TNA, but I'm so sorry that I took it in this other direction. <laughs> Jackie's dare, mad at me. <laughs> how dare you not objectify fictional characters with us? How dare yeah. you? Oh, I'll it. objectify them. Don't you worry. She will listen to the conversation. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, no, I'm done. All right. I'm going to get off of my, I'm going to get off of my academic couch now and come sit with Jackie on the fun couch. She says I suck the fun out of the room. So <laughs> she's, she's, she's fun police sometimes. Apparently tonight too. I'm fun police. All right. So real fast before we get off the topic of an interview with a vampire, fit, who is the sexiest in the interview with the vampire for you? Who do you vote? This is this see this is really tough. I have to honestly say there are a lot of conventionally attractive people. There are. There's there's a lot of hot dudes in this movie. Um I I truly get torn between Christian Slater and Antonio Banderas. Honestly, I'm gonna get I would I do find Antonio Banderas to be especially 90s Antonio Banderas. Yeah, with the accent and the yeah, yeah. he he get he got me. He but, got me good. Slater has my little, ever since like cuffs and pump up the volume, Christian Slater has always, my guilty pleasure of 90s girl crush was Christian Slater. So that was gonna be my answer. Yeah. <laughs> Christian Slater all day for me. Yeah. I had an unhealthy obsession with him in the 90s. I don't know why. And here's the thing. I look back on that and I don't get it. Like I'm like, me neither. <laughs> but, but I still feel it. I still remember my little 90s like heart is like, oh, Christian Slater. And I'm like, I have three words for you. Gleaming the cube. <laughs> I told Marissa earlier that they were going to take away her Latino card because she did not say that Antonio Banderas was the hot one. He doesn't do it for me. Even no. when he's super hot, like you. even in like Desperado, I'm like, Meh. you're. I'm sorry. You're going to have to identify as white from now on. How <laughs> dare you? My problem with that is that there are a ton of like actors, like Hispanic actors that are way hotter than Antonio Banderas in my opinion and even at that time yes. so it's like watch it I'm always a little bit like yeah like come on let's let's throw some love to some other really hot Hispanic actors but um no of course they got Antonio Banderas no um, that's what I said I'm like you know what it's the it's it's not even so much I mean he's very attractive in the 90s oh, he but was. you you got that accent you've got that burning desire like he wants to tear apart that family just to get Louis to all himself and I'm just like Okay, okay, Armand. Plus, it's the whole theater thing, and I was a theater kid, so I'm here for it. I'm, do, I'm, 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 I'm on Team Antonio, Team Armand. I'm sorry, Armand. Which is why I'm like, I know just how needy Armand's gonna be. I'll pass. <laughs> so true. And you still need so much validation. Yeah. Yeah, he is a hardcore theater kid. tell me i'm pretty quick quick pay attention pay attention to me how good am i right how good am i is crying you're like oh god (laughs) yeah no all of them are too high maintenance for me all three of them um and then even the christian slater's character would probably irritate me too unfortunately i would really of all the vampires in this film the only two i say i I would say i was interested in hanging out with were the dude who mimics him and walks up the wall because he seems like a good time man like even ray's character is really awesome in this he's fucking evil as shit but he is not in the way that lestat is like but in a delightful (laughs) way like lestat is is evil and like mary said he is out to ruin lives 
but there's something kind of charming about it in a way in the movie but Stephen Ray's character he is just evil because it is fucking fun and let's just ride this crazy train of evil and I'm gonna he I mean the moment he saw Louis he's like yeah I'm gonna kill some shit like he knew exactly what he was doing and I loved it knew that they had quote-unquote killed Lestat yeah like also maybe they should do their vampire homework a little better but what they should do their vampire Holbrook a little better because he was still alive that whole time. Just saying. Yeah, I don't know that they cared entirely. <laughs> <laughs> I do yeah, agree. You, that I think- <laughs> was like, you could I still you. be arrested for attempted murder. Like, yeah. it's not like I didn't actually kill him. Oh, okay. No, Unlock the handcuffs. And struggled through anguished pain to recover. You're like, oh, okay, that's still not good news. <laughs> he was burned fair enough fair enough you make a good point there there was some stuff i don't know why after almost 30 years of watching this movie i don't know why there was shit that i finally picked up on on the last viewing that i had never picked up on before because we all grows up now i guess so i i swear i swear and it makes me feel like such a fucking dumbass but like i never ever ever until marissa and i watched this movie on saturday never picked up the undertone of the relationship between the slave and louis never picked up on that ever and at one point like you know we're watching it and she's like oh you know you don't come to the slave quarters and she's real familiar and she touches them and i look at marissa and i'm like I've been watching this movie for 30 years. Are you telling me there's some shit going on between them? And we she both was had like the same reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, holy shit, me too. How did I miss that? I don't think I'm dumb. I know I like I play this dumb character on this TV show, but like I don't think I'm actually an idiot. But how did I miss that? Like that was so obvious. And now I'm like paying attention, like, what the fuck else did I miss? I'm not even remotely surprised because like age 11 through age 24 me was extremely naive so i'm not i am not shocked the cynical bitch you see before you today was really something that came about in my 30s well but it's also i mean when you watch it when you're younger you're not it's subtle enough you wouldn't necessarily i think that's fair i you know no i can't use that excuse i watch this movie like twice a year Really? Oh, like, so I have I no excuse. Since I like that inclusion, though, because it drives my point home, which has always been my issue with Louis, which is a lot of people think he's supposed to be the good guy. And I'm like, there's no good guy. Louis, Louis actually, in my, not worse, but he's as bad, if not a slightly more annoying to me, because he's a bad guy that just tries to convince you he's a victim. And you're like, no, like, no, you, you chose to get involved with all of this. And yes, sure, life was hard. There are a number of excuses why you're like this but you be, you have done all of these things of your own volition. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you really have. Aww. Like I, I, you're right. I, I have a soft spot for Louis though. I think he tries to be better. I empathize with all of the characters. This is only because I have to assume in much the same way that when someone dies of a drug overdose, I'm like, there's more to it than just that decision. There was a whole life of not everything. Yes, you ultimately make your choices, mm-hmm. but I Empathize with the fact that those choices might have been made a whole lot harder by your circumstances. <laughs> now that we've ruined all the fun, let's move on to the only lovers left alive. I just want to real fast say my takeaway from only lovers left alive. <laughs> and I'm, I like some Jim Jarmusch movies. I'll put that out there. I right do too. I'm a Jim Jarmusch gal. 
I'm not a Jim Jarmusch gal. I okay. like some Jim Jarmusch movies. This movie in particular, the entire time, why could I not stop going? Jim Jarmusch is the director equivalent of Holden Caulfield from Catcher in the Rye. Ponies, <laughs> <laughs> like stop calling humanity zombies. I got no, your, it's. Perfect. I already got your like metaphor there. Yes, we're all consumer zombies with the paint of the gene pool, and we're awful. Take your hipster ass sitar and go sit down. <laughs> I fucking love. See, I was. I. You're right. You're right with all of it and if i met him in real life i probably wouldn't like him but i i am a fan of this i'm a fan of the dead don't die like i i don't know i like I love the dead don't die i do yeah. okay <laughs> it's it, there's something about the pretentiousness of his stuff that works for me like it's like the art house film student get in me gets tickled you know what i mean like he, i love it is an incredibly cool film he's, he's always like, beautiful like to yeah. look at yeah, it's Welsh. I love that opening with the room revolving as they're both. I love the way he makes some fantastic. I don't mean that to take away from his talent. It's yeah. just, I only, the, the Dead Don't Die, I liked despite the pretension. And I think that's right. Is always that kind of. <laughs> you have to, though, with him. You have to, like, get over that to like what's being done. Um, can we talk about Tilda Swinton and why I am so in love with her? Like, she is just, every time she's on the screen, she just captivates me. Yeah, she's probably the sexiest vampire. <laughs> she, she really is. I think she wins. No, I, I told Marissa earlier because Marissa was on the, she's like, I don't know if you're going to like this movie because Marissa knows me well enough to know what kind of movies I like. And she's like, I don't know if you're going to like this movie. I was like, you know what? I'm excited for it. You, you had me at Tilda Swinton. Like, and you had me at Tilda Swinton playing the vampire that she parodies in What We Do in the Shadows. Yes. So I'm like, I had never seen it. So I had been waiting for this. Uh, I have to say that the beginning, it was not looking very good because of how pretentious, art, healthy, stupid. <laughs> what saved this movie was the interactions of Adam and Eve. The, the chemistry between Tom Hiddleston and Tilda Swinton was so captivating that, thank God, they spent the rest of the movie together because that's what kept me engaged and that's why I like this movie. Real fast, and I, I agree with you 100% on that. And can I just say, and this is the only time you will probably ever hear me say that because I'll admit it, it might make me a basic bitch. I am a Michael Fassbender gal. I fucking love that man. He was supposed to be in the role of Adam. Originally, he was supposed, he would not have worked with him. And no, I, no. I watched this whole movie going, knowing that in my head and going, Tom Hiddleston, I think, knocked it out of the park. And I think, I don't, Michael Fassbender would not have had that chemistry with Tilda Swinton. Mm-mm. Two of them did a fantastic job. And that is what I loved. What, aside from the coolness and the style, what made this movie for me is that it was a relationship film. It mm-hmm. was like, it was like, the vampirism, like the, the men being vampires was more of a, of a contextual thing. But I agree. It, it made a point to me. So like, I'm trying to remember, there was an article that someone had sent me and I talked about with someone like, you're like, not years ago, but you know, a couple of years ago where they were talking about how, when you are in a relationship with somebody, you don't just fall in love with one person that stays the same. They're going to change. They're going to grow. You have to continually fall in love with the person they become. And I kind of like that this very subtly makes that point. The fact that they're living in a distance. She's what, like 3,000 years old and he's like 500 years old. Mm -hmm. And there are different places and like how that kind of, how they're constantly together and constantly somehow apart and changing is, is what made this movie, I don't know. I really liked that aspect of it. And I thought they had great chemistry when I did not expect them to, I'll be honest. I, yeah. I heard the pairing of them, I was like, <laughs> yeah. This movie also 
the other really, really good thing about this movie is this movie had like the high fidelity badass level soundtrack. Oh God. Like the music in this movie is absolutely fucking bananas. And like, I could listen to the soundtrack all day. This was, this music, the music is so good. The music is so fucking good. Yeah, I mean that's he's so decidedly cool. Like, oh yeah. god, right? Like, right? he's also so bored. Like, if he were like the college radio DJ, like I would have absolutely slept with him on the first date. Like, oh, that's how cool it is. <laughs> see, and that's what pisses me off. It would have been the guy that I'd be like, if you could just dial back the pretension, I would rock your world. But I can't look myself in the mirror because I know <laughs> what you're thinking. No. <laughs> Like I'm oh, sure you have man. the other half of your face underneath your hair. If we could just, yeah, we could just comb your hair. Yeah. Could we comb your hair? Can we just I, get out of your face, Winnie? I was never cool enough for that guy to talk to me. So I don't even. I've never even in my head gathered whether or not I find those types of people attractive because I'm just that is like a different like arena of of type of guy that I never even tried for. Um, I'm self aware, y'all. All right, but here's. <laughs> This was all assuming I would be. I <laughs> oh, see, I was the one with the pair of balls that would just walk up to a dude like that, like, "Hey, yeah. what's up? Yeah. Got a cigarette?" <laughs> I <laughs> wish I was that, but I was the. Can talk about Charlie Parker or something? Like, that's a cool vinyl you got. Like, yeah, no, I'm the one that's ballsy. It would just just walk up to a dude and start talking to him. Which I didn't. Everyone always thought I would, but I was like, no, because what if they say yes? <laughs> <laughs> then I have to let you in my life and you have to know things. I haven't factored in all of the variables here. Yeah, Mary, you are deceptively unsmooth in that arena. Like, where, whereas, like, when I first met you, I was like, damn, that girl's got to be, like, a clutch wingman. And it turns out you suck. <laughs> <laughs> when you get behind the, like, oh, here's the, I am a clutch wingman. Yeah, no, I, you're right. I should I should say you're you're terrible. I you're your endeavors. I am not a maverick. I am a goose. You're not the pilot. You are. You're not a maverick. Um, I want to be a maverick so bad, but I'm just goose. <laughs> I'm getting ready to hit the eject button at any moment. <laughs> so I have to I have to admit I agree with both of you. I think the, the the relationship between the two of them is the beautiful, beautiful thing that binds everything together. And when we talk about this idea of suffering, because she goes to him because he's like kind of suicidal, right? Mm-hmm. And and it is their love, and it is the 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 comfort that they bring each other, and that that gets them. So I this struck such a, co- a, a chord with me this film because living and being in love with a person who lives in existential crisis all the time someone who looks at the world and sees how terrible it is and gets physically and psychologically affected by that I I I related so hard to what that's like and it was so personally like triggering for me and I read this article that almost bordered on criticizing them and was like it's weird. They, they don't live together. And then they like, they're like too comfortable. All the sex scenes are off, off scene. They almost act like brother, sister. Sometimes I couldn't disagree, disagree more with that. Yeah. I think that when you, the longer you're with someone, the more comfortable you get, the more the love and the, the, the sexuality of it evolves. And it's not always, it's, it isn't always going to look like a hot, steamy relationship. I'm sure there are moments where Matt and I interacting looks more like a brother, sister goofing around. And I don't mean that in like a gross way. I mean that in like a, I am so comfortable. This is my soulmate. This is the person I've spent the past 20 something years with. I can be every version of myself with him 
but I also yeah. understand that his his soul and his, the beauty that he sees in the world is what carries me through and vice versa. So the love story in this film to me was just one of the most profoundly beautiful things I've seen in a fucking minute. No, I, I, and I think there's, there's definitely a point where you're like, and I, I always feel like when I hear that, I'm like, you know, there's a difference between sex and intimacy, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but like that, real intimacy. Not know each yeah. other at all. Like yeah. I was like, and you can have profoundly intimate moments that aren't necessarily steamy. Like you're saying and a relationship should probably have both. Like depends on what you're into, I guess. It's also like, I, I always feel like the, a lot of people I think want sex to be, I want to say a performance, but I think it is. Some people, yeah. some people get off on that, which is fine. But like at the same time, I'm like, really being intimate is when you can have sex and laugh about something that happens because sex can be weird <laughs> and weird things happen. It's human body. Like, you know what I'm I don't know. It's just that thing of like being able to laugh about it and still be sexually attracted and not just have to have this, I have to be in the mindset of sex and feeling sexy. You can be sexy in a lot of different ways. You can feel, I don't know, that's a whole lot of thought. But. When you have sex with somebody and you wake up the next morning and you're not worried about the fact that like you have no makeup on, that your breath smells like ass, that you're, you know, like you don't care how you wake up the next morning and neither does the other person. That's, that's, that's intimacy. That's wonderful. That's, that's true love. I agree. <laughs> <Certain> vulnerability. Yeah. <laughs> I think the first time you both have a stomach virus and you live in a one bedroom apartment is true intimacy. Like those kinds of things, you know, where like, it's like you, you get past those moments. I mean, Jesus, I, I'm, the man has watched me give birth to our children. Like, <laughs> I yeah. don't, I still don't understand how he finds me even remotely attractive after that. Like, I feel like he was trying, he must've had trauma from, <laughs> cause I didn't see that end of things and I was traumatized. <laughs> If you want to talk about it on a chemical level, like not not, not to be mean, just remove. <laughs> like you want to talk about it on a chemical level, it's because there's two different aspects of it. Like there's a chemical and a hormone that gets released with that initial bubble of a relationship. And I think every relationship, when you get into it, has that bubble where everything is perfect and like you don't want the rest oh, of the world yeah. in, and you're just so like. And that's that bubble, that initial like sex is like you're constantly like want to have sex, all that stuff. Everything is perfect. And then the bubble bursts, <laughs> hopefully in a gentle way, sometimes not. But like, and you fall into that longer term where it's, it's, it's a different chemical. It's a different bonding reaction that you have that allows you to still see somebody that you've been with for 20 years the way you did 20 years ago. Like you don't look at them and even though you know they've changed, they're still the person you remember. Like, do you know what I'm saying? It's that thing of- I, I agree. No, I, I, the, one of the most profound quotes I've ever heard about love was in the movie, The Kids Are All Right, which I know isn't a movie anybody would like write home about, but it's it was okay for what it was. And they said that, you know, what most people don't realize is that relationships are a marathon and you're going to hit those walls. And what happens when you hit those walls is, is what, what determines whether or not the relationship continues. But no marriage is a walk in the park. It's going to always be the brutal marathon. And, and I, it's a profound, to me, a profound statement because it's true. There's so many different levels and layers. Oh, God. Oh, love. look at us talking about waxing on about love. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. Let's move on to something like blood and gutsy. Can we talk about, um, let's, can we get literary, my literary geek self? Oh, my God. I was cry. so, every name they were Marlo. dropping, I was picking it up and I was just like, oh, I like this one. 
So Jarmusch is famously and like anti-Stratfordian. He like does not believe that Shakespeare existed. But and usually I get really annoyed, but he John Hurt was so fucking adorable that I was like, I, okay, Christopher Marlowe, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I get the whole Christopher Marlowe theory. I don't know that I, I don't understand why it's so easy to believe Christopher Marlowe wrote them all than it is to believe that another man wrote them all. Like at that point, I'm like, I can more sooner believe that maybe William Shakespeare had a lot of ghostwriters. <laughs> well, Christopher Marlowe had the education. That's the big argument usually. I mean, sure, but I, I, I don't, again, I don't necessarily, I, I don't know, and I don't know that I have a dog, but you're right in the sense that it would have annoyed me, except that it's John Hart. <laughs> it's so cute, right? Yeah. He was, <laughs> and, and just like the right, like, I just love the, this is the sappy doe-eyed in me too, like the theme that like, if you find that passion that drives you through, that's all you need for a meaningful life. Like years after Shakespeare still got credit for everything, he's still trying to write, he's teaching the other guy how to write, like, I just, oh God, I I loved him in this so much and then did you see their their passports were daisy buchanan and steven for portrait of an artist as a young man also when she packed the suitcase with the books oh my oh, god girl. I, I was, was like, like i wish yeah i loved that it was like don quixote next to infinite jest which infinite jest in this film paired together like wow chef's kiss beautiful um and 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 i it's funny because i always hate i i have a love-hate relationship with wallace but you can't deny the beauty of some of his work. A lot of people have a loving wish. I mean, <laughs> so he's problematic a- at best, but but I also, you know, and and like yeah, I I love this this deal, this idea of like these two. So first of all, I love the backdrop of Tangier and Detroit as a choice because it's like Detroit during its worst late 90s falling apart before anybody gave a shit that it was falling apart moments. And then Tangier which I only imagine I had to like I don't know enough about but I imagined that it is struggling with some issues as well um and then the music as another thing that can get us through oh shit all right my last um big thing is the fact that they're named Adam and Eve I I obviously I I thought this was a reference to original sin and the question that I have though is like is is what is the movie trying to say that humans are always going to be the forbidden fruit? Or are they trying to say that like we can't help but recreate? Like, because at the end they they drink the blood to survive, but then they're creating two new vampires, right? So that wasn't supposed to be biblical. It wasn't. No, I had read that um, that kind of just was happenstance. That really was not intended to be Adam and Eve you know bible warriors i didn't think it was necessarily supposed to be a biblical like they i don't think they were adam and eve but i thought that the choice of adam and eve as naming them yeah you can't is a meaningful choice in the sense of you're trying to i i assume like i just i feel like the adam and eve is not something that somebody would have brought like see what i'm saying like i I don't know that just seems like a weird thing if i were to think of a girl named eve and then be like, what should I name the guy? I'm not going to go Adam, but not for biblical reasons. I'm going to go, mm, if I want to avoid the biblical reference, I should name him something different. Like, but now again, it's, I'm not Ginger. No. Based on Mark Twain's The Diaries of Adams and Eve. 
So it was more Mark Twain reference than a biblical reference. Yeah, that's and that's what uh, Hipster Magoo claimed in interviews. He was like, I don't understand why people are reading biblical references into this. Because yeah, you named your you characters Adam and, Adam Eve, and Eve, you dipshit. Yeah. Like, that's where, that's why I say I wouldn't like him in real life if we met. Because <laughs> I'd be like, then don't name your fucking main characters Adam and Eve. And have them be very much in this Eden of their own. And have them, like, the forbidden for being the live human. Like, don't shut up, Jim Jermush. I, I just had to look this up to confirm. Mark Twain's The Diary of Adam and Eve are about actual, actual Adam, Adam and Eve. Yeah, in the Garden of Eden. Like, it is a biblical story. <laughs> Mother and the mother. fact that he said that, like, oh, it did, I didn't, it didn't even dawn on me until we were filming it, and at that point, what are you going to do? I wish you hadn't told me that because now I just <laughs> really? right now that makes you want to punch really? me in the face. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> too bad. And I'm going to enjoy my I, the hours of untethering what it could have possibly biblically be referencing. Yeah, and and you could suck at Jim Jarmusch. Here's the thing. It is. If you're trying to make a reference to the diaries of that, you either have never read it, in which case, why are you referencing Poser. Poser hipster. Or you have read it. You know it's about, it's literally diary entries of a man and a woman in the Garden of Eden. It is Adam and Eve. So you are making a biblical reference. I don't get to go, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not referencing the devil. I'm talking about Lucifer from, you know, the Paradise Lost. You're like, that is the devil. <laughs> Sorry. I betcha he didn't even read all of Infinitest. I betcha he got halfway and got bored like I did. <laughs> he never read Don Quixote. No, who has though? <laughs> but I, I liked the fact that the reason those two are paired together is because I, and again, I might be reading too much into it. I felt like Eve was a little bit of Don Quixote and he was a little bit of Infinite Jest. I totally agree. Yes, I totally yeah. agree with you. I think I think she had a certain well, it was funny because I loved the scene. It's such a little scene, but when they drive by Jack Black's house and she's like, oh my God, I love him. I feel like she has moments of such humanity. Whereas he's always like Mr. Cool, like, you know, like when her sister comes, like she she just has these little blurbs of like really excited, happy, which I feel like are her humanity still shining through. And I the other th beautiful theme in this movie is just the theme of the energy crisis. Cause like this idea of like, like when they are completely depleting, because Detroit is such a perfect example of just how fucked up our country is, how much we're depleting our own resources. And then you juxtapose that with them having the, the tainted blood and the idea that like they're running out of their energy and their source of life too. And, and, and how we can't even get clean water still in fucking Detroit. And it's like, it's just, it was a beautifully done metaphor. And I don't think he, I'd hope he wouldn't deny that metaphor too, the jackass, but he like, I just thought it was so poignant and so powerful. And the, no oh, Marlo's death scene. I was like tearing up with them. I was, I was having all the feels bro. And then at the end when I thought, oh, dude, I thought they were going to die. I was losing my shit a little bit. I'm not going to lie. You guys, I was yeah, like, I was I was kind of nervous for the tragic ending. And I'm like, no, no, the whole thing is about their love enduring. Like I love and that moment yeah. when she looks at the pic their wedding picture and she was like, Oh, our third marriage. Like <laughs> they just go through like a century and then get married and then go through another century and get remarried. Like these bitches renew their vows like nobody's business. And like I love when the sister comes and fuck shit up and they he never holds it against her overtly like i don't know it's just they're beautiful together i mean i i, I liked i have like as characters of obviously and i think that's i they have their flaws they balance each other well and i think that was the the I, I agree with you in the sense that it's a they had a fundamentally 
I don't, I guess beautiful relationship is, the, is a good way to put it. I always feel like beautiful is like, because there were the relationship that I also felt were probably not as, it was painted beautifully, but you're like, mm, that might also not be a like actual, in actuality, a beautiful thing. But um, it's about, well, again, I have, I have issues with um, Adam more so than Eve. Um, but again, he's also, I don't blame them for the desperateness of their circumstances. I, sorry, I know exactly what you guys were talking about, about, you know, the tragic ending and being, I will say I, the whole time in classic twisted me fashion, just kept thinking, you said they were left alive, Jim Jarmusch, don't fucking lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> and he is very literal with his title. So. <laughs> That's why I was like, you said the dead don't die. Spoiler alert. <laughs> like, it's in my head, I was going, come on, man. You said they were left alive. They better be left <laughs> yeah. alive. And then I saw the kissing couple and I was like, don't you fucking pull this little joke on me. <laughs> it wasn't those lovers. <laughs> I, I I had a funny thought. So when, when Ava comes, when the sister comes, and she's an obnoxious little sister, yep. my very first thought was, we, uh, Marissa and her husband and, and I have this running joke that I'm like, Matt, you need to marry me so Marissa and I can be sister wives. Yeah, and I he constantly he turns me down. He has no interest, no, which yeah. I don't understand. Me but neither. like, I literally had the thought, like when she knocks on the bedroom door and they're sleeping and she's like, are you awake? Okay, I'm coming in and like gets in bed with them. I'm like, see, if Matt did marry me and we got to be sister wives, that would be me. I'd be like, guys, yeah. I'm coming in, move over, turning the lights on. And Marissa's yeah, like, all accepting and snuggling. And Matt just has his head under the pillow, like, get the fuck out of my room. And I'd be like, why sleepyhead? What's wrong with your face? That's um, actual foot. I'm upstairs and you guys would already be in the bed. And you'd be like, you can just sleep in my room. You can have the bed in my room. It's true. We would definitely wind up in the bed together. Dave, so that, was that, that was my that was my instant Watching thought i'm like that's out. what it would be like it's true <laughs> no it's so true and you know what it's 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 a hundred percent true because i would be like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? there's here's jackie who can't hold her liquor you know yeah. sitting there on the couch like so, give me more i want more <laughs> of this delicious y'all liquor. don't know me yeah no i would i i, I saw a little bit of of myself in her <laughs> I saw a little bit of myself as a little. Although I tell you, it also makes me happy that I'm the youngest. I think we're all the youngest here, right? Yeah. 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 No, God forbid. If I had a little sister, it'd be done. I wouldn't have a little sister because I'd probably put her in a garbage can. Yeah. Especially one like me, man. (laughs) I was, I was a little know-it-all. You think I'm bad now? I've toned it down. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I still am such a shit to my brother. It's almost unbelievable at times. And my favorite part was, I cannot tell you how many times in my life I have just bursted into a room or like into one of his relationships and, and caused havoc and done something shitty and then been like, fuck you fuck you and walked away that like when I think about it I'm I'm almost a little ashamed almost not quite there but almost because I am definitely when it comes to being a little sister I am the snottiest of snotty and you're welcome Joe yeah there you go meh what are you gonna do about it what do you do what do you do well I'm nothing because I'll punch in the gut and then cry to mom (laughs) just like I always did (laughs) Tell mom that you hit me. <laughs> Wait, 
Wait, and that, and that works. I swear he hit me every time. I never yeah. made it up. No, that works unless your brother is six years older than you and has a significantly larger hand. And also your parents. Are oh my God, kids. I love your fake slap story. I did. I, did. I slapped myself across the face, tried to blame That's it on committed, Brian. though. That's committed. I, I never, did. And, yeah. and my brother was getting in trouble when my parents realized how tiny the handprint on my cheek was. So yeah, there's that. Think, think, think things through, guys. That's all I'm going to say. Think, think things through. All right. In the honor of... Five, go go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. Because being the youngest of five kids, my parents nipped all that in the bud by doing one thing. It is not us two with you against your brothers and sisters. It is the five of you against the two of us. So at any point, if you try to throw your brother under the bus, everyone's getting in trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's smart. We had the cone of silence and that was like, this doesn't leave this room. We don't tattletale because we're all going to get in trouble. See, now, yeah, and that's the benefit of several, like of multiple siblings. Yeah. Marissa and I, it's just, it's us and an older brother. Nope. So the, the, the benefit of a tribe is something that we are not privy to. Mm-hmm. We are we are clannish. We yeah. literally destroy each other. And then the moment like somebody outside the clan is like, do you think that maybe you're like, what did you say about my brother? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? You do want to fight? Because I'm ready. I'm ready. My dukes are up. <laughs> I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> and then I'll turn around and beat my brother up. Be like, but you don't get to beat him up. I get to beat him up. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think in the honor of our sexy vampire episode, we're going to play a quick little game of F. Mary Kill. F. Mary Kill interview with the vampire, ladies. Lestat, Louis, and Armand. Oh, that's easy. Kill Lestat, <gasps> fuck Louis, marry Armand. No, you're crazy. crazy. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, fuck Lestat. Oh, God, yeah, he'd be a lot of fun. Absolutely oh, yeah. insane, but he'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm effing Lestat. Kill too. Louis, because I'm kind. And quite frankly, I just don't want to hear him whine about it anymore. <laughs> Mary Armand. <laughs> really? You're both team Mary Armand? No, I'm effing. I just can't imagine marrying the other two, so I'm left with no other option. Yeah. Am I a vampire? Yes, right? I'm, in this assume, scenario. I'm assuming by the time I'm done with those three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to hot take here. I'm going to F Louie, kill Armand, marry Lestat. I th- movie Lestat. <laughs> Because I think we would just because if I'm going to be a vampire, right? I'm playing a long game here, Mary. I'm playing a long game. (laughs) He's going to grow tired of me and like go whine off in his emo world. So at some point, I think we're going to have a good time. I think Louis is going to annoy the shit out of me. Yeah, that's why you fucking run. (laughs) But our bond is terrible. No, but he'll talk to me in a sexy accent. All terrible. Yeah. I will say this like Lestat's not going to forget about you. You want to know how you know that? How the fuck does Lestat pop up at the back of Christian Slater's car at the end? Wasn't that because he was probably following Louis around like a creeper? Right. Because he's that toxic ex lover, right? That you're like, you're like, all right, I feel bad for you. You're gross now. (laughs) You're just going to be like, no, 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 no. What you do is you fuck Lestat. Okay. You kill Louis. Then you marry Armand and you pit Lestat and Armand against each other and they kill each other. And, and then, then you're free. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're sexier and hotter. <laughs> That's a good plan. All right. F. Mary Kill, the uh, only lovers left alive edition, celebrity edition. So we're not talking about the character here. We're talking about the celebrity themselves. Anton Yelkin, Tom Hiddleston, Tilda Swinton. Oh my God, I can't choose. <laughs> oh no, that's easy again. That's easy again. I'm going to marry Tom Hiddleston, fuck you're Tilda crazy. Swinton, 
and kill Anton. Kill. Oh, too <laughs> soon. <laughs> I know. Too oh my God. I'm sorry. Too soon, Jackie. Too soon. Too soon. No. All right. All right. Here's mine. Ready? I'm gonna forever think of as Chekhov, and I can't kill Chekhov. <laughs> I'm going to kill Anton too, unfortunately. But I'm marrying Tilda, effing Tom Hiddleston. This is a really, this is a really tough question for me. Not because I'm a Tom Hiddleston fan, but I do like Loki as a yeah, concept and a god. And so, to, 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 even in this incarnation, I don't want to. So I know it's hard. But I'm not gonna kill Tilda Swinton. No, so, but I'm not doing that. I'm probably marrying Tilda Swinton. Me too. I'm gonna yeah. like we would have fun. I just feel like he would get boring after a while. Tilda Swinton. I feel like her and I could give each other space. We right. Could- <laughs> like her character and I would get along so well. You know, like and every character she plays, I'm like I want to be friends with her. And even yeah. if like, yeah, I just I just kind of want to bathe in the glory that is Tilda Swinton. Could you <laughs> imagine though, like having to walk She's next to her into a party, on the floor, like while she's reading, like. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you're so cool <laughs> i would literally feel like a troll if i had to walk into a room next to yeah, like just hunched over like <laughs> i'm gonna lie i would also feel like a troll if i had to walk into a room with tom hiddleston <laughs> <laughs> see that less is, so with tom hiddleston. yeah no i was gonna say not as much with him <laughs> i don't even mean that in a way that's supposed to be denigrating he's just a very like again any of those guys brad pitt i'd be like cool it's brad pitt and it's troll brad <laughs> Coming in the room like Igor. <laughs> people would be like, did Brad Pitt adopt a homeless woman tonight? How sweet. Like, I know people are like, she's gonna have a fantastic personality. And then they're gonna meet me and be like, no, that's nope, not, it's not it. No, not that. <laughs> They'd be like, is this yeah. a make a wish situation? <laughs> Blink if you're in danger, Brad Pitt. <laughs> you think she's a very nice hat. <laughs> You hit Brad, the top. No, Brad's on drugs again. Mary Tilda Swinton. I guess fuck Tom Hiddleston, kill Antonia. Only because the one thing I can't picture doing more to check off than kill him is fuck him. So I know. I and it's weird because he's a good look. He's he was a good looking kid. He just a he's a little young for me. B like he's what was he in his early twenties? Like that's kill, but not, he's old enough to kill, but not to <laughs> I standards, Mary. <laughs> i have morals oh god well i don't know about you two but i i've had fun <laughs> i have definitely had fun oh, i yes. apologize for the cursing i realized you said f mary kill which told me that all the times i dropped the f-bomb i should have just been saying f-bomb. oh you know me nothing but t- calling things naughty and fresh and please i cursed like five thousand times don't be silly which i never understand that i never understand why you call it f mary kill yeah, I thought that was because it's Kill. It's called Fuck Mary Kill, <laughs> and you, you never don't have to be, you, don't have you to be never say that. It. You will drop the f word. You'll be like I, fuck, fuckity, fuck, fuck, fuck. I tell you what, if you know anything about me, I don't use the word fuck in 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 relation to the act of having sex. Yeah, but the game is called Fuck Mary Kill. It's called F Mary Kill. What? No, what it's not called F Mary Kill. That I call it. Doesn't matter if you call it F or fuck. F, the F stands for fuck, so you're implying that. Guys, no one loves the fucking F word more than I do. 
but I don't tend to fuck off. Yeah, so simmer the fuck down. But I I tell you, if you listen to my usage of the word fuck, which is the one of my favorite words in the English language, I almost never use it in the context of actually having sex. I don't know why. It's just one of my weird little like kill Mary and a little the old slap and tickle. Yeah. <laughs> a little the old pickle tickle. Yes, do we get a little, the old slap and tickle? <laughs> a little bit of the old hibbity dibbity. Yes. I'll also accept Pound Town, Mary. I was just gonna say, I'm like, can we go to Pound Town? That we can do. We can take the train to Pound Town anytime you'd like. We hope you guys have enjoyed our sexy vampire. I mean, I guess that technically this is our sexy vampire episode, even though it got a little uh, interesting in the conversation. Tilda Swinton, the sexiest, right? Yeah. Of this whole episode, yeah. I think we're going to agree that Tilda wins the, she wins the crown. Mary, thank you so much for joining us. Yay! Let's, let's, let's take a second to talk about Three Crones, Three Crones Productions. So, well, first of all, we are so excited to be still very much in the early stages of launching Three Crones Productions, but we are so happy to have on board uh, Joe Costal with Every Month Madness, where they are taking random things from pop culture in the world and making a March Madness style bracket with them. They just did Billy Joel. Um, It was awesome. And the I can say it now because the episode will be released. The number one Billy Joel song of all time, according to this group, was Summer Summer Highland Falls, which, which just a travesty. <laughs> I see. I love. I have a super soft spot in my heart for that song, but I agree it's not my favorite. I I would have been a big Vienna for the win, which I I know you think that's a travesty too. <laughs> yeah, I, I but I wouldn't be surprised. I was I would be less. I think so with Vienna because I understand it. Although it is not for me personally one of my. I would be like I, it's still a great song. Yeah. I, but Summer Highland Falls just feels like one of those like was it a crowd pleaser? Was it just one that was not, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I'm not sure. Again, I know how brackets can. Yeah. It just, I think it was just the way the bracket kind of unfolded, but yeah, they, and now next month they're doing a uh, best Disney world ride of all time, like all the parks and the winner for that one. I I was like, yeah, it makes sense. So I could live with it. I didn't agree with it, but I could live with it. Uh, so yeah, definitely check them out. If you're into pop culture, if you're into brackets, also you get to vote. So definitely check out the polls that they're posting over at every month madness podcast. The other big podcast we've unveiled this month is block or buster. And it is three knucklehead guys discussing on the cusp movies and deciding whether they're good or bad and what's cool about them is the audience gets the final vote and i think they did escape from la and they get the the cool thing is the audience gets to choose they have to kind of concede to the votes here and i know that uh escape from la really burns because i know a lot of people thought it was a buster but blocks won it baby and they are continuing through the the annals of history to decide which movies are good, which are bad, and which are maybe just perfectly on that line between the two. And I think next up is Snake Eyes, which I'm I'm curious to see how the vote goes on that one. Because oh, it doesn't thumbs. matter; it's a Nick Cage movie, so it's uh, an automatic thumbs, down. thumbs up. It's an automatic automatic thumbs up. thumbs up. But anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in, and thanks again for supporting all of our endeavors here over at Jersey Ghouls and Three Crones Productions. And stay tuned because the Ghouls and the Crones have united, and we are just getting started. So thank you guys, and we will see you next time. Bye bye. Bye bye. Sleep all day. Party all night. Nothing like nocturnal waves, 24 hour shades, party power. Wake up at 5 p.m., that's a right about when magic hour. Oh, yeah.
of Chinese chow and my whiskey sour. I'll be grooving. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.